This is the eighth and last in a series of talks by Joel titled The Practice of Inquiry 8, Doing Nothing, recorded October 20th, 2006, at the Cloud Mountain Retreat Center in Castle Rock, Washington. Okay. So, uh, if you have not yet discovered your true nature, it's possible you are making the same mistake that Merrill Wolf made up until very near the end of his path. Yes. Who's Merrill Wolf? Uh, Franklin Merrill Wolf, Dr. Wolf. Oh. That's his full name. So, anyway, here's what he wrote about this. It suddenly dawned on me that a common error in meditation, and one which I had been making right along, lay in seeking a subtle object or experience. Now an object or experience, no matter how subtle, remains a phenomenal time-space existence, and therefore is other than supersensible substantiality. I saw that genuine recognition is simply a realization of nothing, but a nothing that is absolutely substantial and identical with the self, all capital self. So let's go through that one more time. It suddenly dawned on me that a common error in meditation, and one which I had been making right along, lay in seeking a subtle object or experience. We hear it, and he's heard it a million times, you know, that consciousness is not anything, it's not an object. He was a student of Shankar's who was the founder of Advaita, and you know, they go through this, it's one without a second, no parts, no divisions, and so forth. So it's not that he didn't understand this intellectually, but he just noticed that he was doing something in meditation which maybe is something you guys are doing. He's sitting there, and he's gotten over the obvious distractions and whatnot, and now he's waiting for something, something, to happen in consciousness that wasn't there before. To see something, to feel something, to something different than what is right now. Or some experience, just something to change here. I mean, I'm waiting to get enlightened, right? Something must change in order for me to get enlightened. I mean, maybe it's not going to be the Virgin Mary in front of me saying, welcome to the land of enlightenment, but... <laughs> something. And then he says, now, he says, an object or experience, no matter how subtle, and let's add here, no matter how subtle, no matter how sublime, no matter how blissful, no matter how profound, any adjective you want to throw in front of it, any object or experience, no matter how subtle, remains a phenomenal time-space existence. What he means is, a phenomena that is impermanent, that arises in time. Like we've been watching all this phenomenon. We've been saying, well, not me, not me. Why? Primarily because it's impermanent. It goes, and I'm not going anywhere. And it keeps coming and going, coming and going. So any subtlest object or experience is going to come and go. As I think a, a number of you have already discovered, when you've had some really wonderful, and they are wonderful, profound, blissful experiences. 
that even hang around for a while. And you think, ah, this is it. But guess what? Eventually they go. So if it comes and goes, if it is something experienced, if it is any kind of thing, even the subtlest thing in consciousness, then it cannot be the supersensible substantiality. And that's just his way of saying consciousness itself, the ultimate reality, Brahman, whatever. So then he says, I saw the genuine recognition, and he means enlightenment, he spells with a capital R, genuine recognition is simply a realization of nothing, but a nothing that is absolutely substantial and identical with the self, the big S. So the key here is you're sitting here and nothing is happening. But you don't recognize that. That's it. <laughs> you're waiting for a something, and you're not looking at the nothing. So, what he's saying is, the subject to consciousness can never be an object before consciousness. So, whatever objects arise, it can't be it. If we want to find the subject to consciousness, we have to find nothing. Now, between two thoughts, there is nothing. I mean, when that thought has gone in that space where the thought was, and now it's not, there is nothing. So that's a good place. It's not the only place, like dreamless sleep. There's a vast ocean of nothing in dreamless sleep. There are other ways to discover nothing. If you are having no luck with this following phenomena, get back to the source and all that, then here's another approach. Or I should say a variation on this, because again, all roads lead to Rome, everything's pointing the same thing, but there are a number of ways to get there. But here's what Dr. Wolf did. He said, I never found it possible to completely silence thought. So it occurred to me that success might be attained simply by a discriminative isolation of the subjective pole of consciousness, with the focus of consciousness placed upon this aspect, but otherwise leaving the mental phenomena free to continue in their spontaneous functioning. They, however, remaining in the periphery of the attentive consciousness. This was the final turn of the key that opened the door. I found myself identical with the voidness, darkness, silence, but realized them as utter, though ineffable, fullness. Translation. <laughs> What's that? We need translation. translation. What did he say? Yes, oh yes, yes, translation, did you say? <laughs> yes, yes, well, I'm going to do that. Okay, so... Now, try to relate this to your experience. I never found it possible to completely silence thought. Is that true of you? Okay. See what a terrible meditator he was. 29 years, and he's, you know, got nowhere, basically. If that's your thoughts. But then it occurred to me that success might be attained simply by a discriminative isolation of the subjective pole of consciousness. So, here we are sitting here, and there's a sense that 
I'm in here looking out of all of you. Is that true of you guys? So that's out there. That's the objective field of consciousness, right? And then, where's this eye that's looking at us? Maybe somewhere in the head? It's like a cone, right? A cone of awareness spreads out from some point in here somewhere. So now, we're going to isolate this subjective point, this pole, this end of the consciousness. It's like turning the flashlight back to see where the light's coming from. Okay? With the focus of consciousness placed upon this aspect, but otherwise leaving mental processes free to continue in their spontaneous functioning. They, however, remaining in the periphery of the attentive consciousness. In the periphery of attention. So he's not going to give them any attention. He's going to withdraw his attention from them and he's going to turn it back and try to find where attention itself was coming from. So then that's what he did. So then this was the final turn of the key that opened the door. And I'm not going to read you that part of it because that's what you want to find out for yourselves. So this approach is not trying to look between phenomena, not trying to follow phenomena back, It's sitting here, you look out there, where is this looking coming from? And you turn attention around and you go inward. You try to find the source. But again, he just discovered a technique that has been used for thousands of years, literally. Here's the Christian mystic Meister Eckhart. If this will turns away from itself and from all creation for one instant and back to its first source, then the will stands in its true and free state. He's saying will, but will's identified with attention. You know, our attention usually follows our will. We will to look around. So instead of using attention, he's using the word will. If this will turns away from itself, that's our self-absorption, and from all creation... For one instant, just for one instant is all it takes. You might have to hang out there. I mean, it's not that it's guaranteed going to happen in one instant, but that would be sufficient. And back to its source. Then the will stands in its true and free state. And here's Ramana Maharshi. If the mind is turned in towards the source of illumination, objective knowledge ceases and the self alone shines as the heart. This is also similar to a a direct approach, I'm calling it, that you can find in the Theravadian Buddhist tradition. It's a technique for inducing what they call a path moment. And a path moment is equivalent to what I call a Gnostic flash. Direct seeing. Not an experience, not a wonderful unity experience or clarity or all that. This is a moment of at least a glimpse of the ultimate nature of reality. And as I understand it, and I may be you know, wrong about the details of this, because it's been a while since I read about it, but in the Theravadian tradition, there are four path moments. There are like three Gnostic flashes and then the big one. So, how can we induce a path moment in the Theravadian tradition? Well, this is how Ayakema describes it. And she starts off by saying, after meditating, when you still have an undistracted mind, And she means deep meditation here. She means deep absorptions that concentration meditation will lead you to. 
When you really have a mind now that is really settled down, is undistracted, and you do need that, an undistracted mind. So she said, after you've been meditating and you find yourself, and there you are with an undistracted mind, first you have to ask yourself, are we really ready to surrender the delusion of self? And if the answer is yes, and you've got to be honest, if the answer is yes, then you should do the following. And now I'm going to quote you directly. Then we can quite intentionally direct the mind toward what is called the still point. This is a mental formation where nothing at all is happening. The mind might comply with our intention. There must be no hindrances present, no hint of doubt, such as, Perhaps this is me trying to get something out of this. That would not work. But if the mind is free and tranquil enough, it will direct itself toward that point where absolutely nothing is happening. At such a time, there is no experiencer. And because of this, we cannot describe the path moment other than that it is a moment of nothing, standing still. Here is one single mind moment when everything seems to stop. Immediately following it, however, comes the moment of fruition. So look, all these different traditions. This, uh, you know, they use slightly different words and whatnot, but you can see they're all talking about the same thing here. So, my suggestion is, if you've been having even some success following thought, back to its source, and I have success in quotes here, and by that I mean that you are very frustrated because you're not finding anything, that is successful. If you're finding lots of beautiful experiences and stuff like that, that you're not being very successful. If you're finding terrible experiences and all that, well, that's probably better, but that's still not very successful. <laughs> But if you are finding nothing, I mean, if you just have that sense, what am I doing this? There's nothing there. That is really the start of it here. So I would suggest you stay with that. But if you really are terribly frustrated with it and it doesn't seem like it's getting anywhere and whatnot, and you are attracted to this other practice, then I will give you a very quick review of the instruction. Uh, first of all, let me say, by the way, this is a practice you might want to do with your eyes closed. In fact, you might want to try the practice of following thought with your eyes closed. We don't need uh, necessarily to have our attention in the visual field for either of these practices. So go ahead and experiment with that. And then not only start with concentration practice, but make the concentration practice the main part of the session. Don't put a lot of effort in. This isn't changing the effort, but just try to be more meticulous about really watching your meditation object, about the laxity, the excitement, trying to get the right balance, really relaxing with it, letting the mind uh, tension stabilize of itself. You just give it a little push this way, a little push that way. That's all you have to do. And then... Out of the stability will come some clarity, and when you get to the point where you feel like you have a relaxed, clear, undistracted mind, that's the place where then you can ask yourself that question. Am I really ready to 
surrender my delusion? And if the answer is yes, and you should really be honest because you shouldn't profane the practice by trying to bulldoze your way through a conflict you have within yourself. If the answer is yes, then you simply direct your attention to find that place of nothingness. You don't know where it is. That's why you're asking your attention to go find it. It's like you have a homing pigeon and you let it loose and you're saying, go fly home. And then the homing pigeon is going to take you where home is. You don't know where it is. And then you wait and see. Either it's going to comply or it doesn't comply. And you will know if it complies. So don't worry about it. Don't have any doubts about it. And then if you get distracted again by thoughts or whatever, and go back and do some more concentration practice. Okay? So, let's uh, do a couple rounds of either one of these practices. You, you can choose for yourself what you'd like to do. Here we go. If you wish to follow our format, stop your player now and practice these instructions. When you've familiarized yourself with these instructions, start your player again and continue with the program. Question about the practice, specific question about the practice? Yeah? Could an analogy be like those visual things where if you shift your attention from the foreground to the background, you see things differently? Yeah, not bad. That's an analogy only. But yes, it's more like that. It's more like that. Nothing's changed in terms of the actual content. Something's changed in the shift of perspective. Yes? So when I was meditating, I started just slightly to doze off. Is that sort of, and it was like, and then I came back very quickly. And for a moment there, 
it was like an in-between state. So is that what we're talking about when we talk about going to sleep and before dreams arise? It means that the world is gone. Uh, <laughs> well, every night and every time you go to sleep, if you're going to sleep during the day, if you're going to sleep in meditation, it's true. You, in a certain sense, pass over that moment uh, of clear light. But the key is, were you lucid? So I wasn't lucid, but I, because I had been meditating, I was suddenly aware of that, that hovering, that, oh. when I came back, which I don't think I've ever been aware of before. So you were aware that you'd been hovering on the brink of sleep? Yeah, and then I came back, and when I came back, I realized, looking back, that I was, oh. that I was not lucid during hovering. That's the problem. But, you see, you're getting close. It's like getting close to the edge. You get close to the edge and you run back and you say, oh, I was close to the edge there. It's, you know, it's, it's one step behind, but no, but that's very good. That's very good. And if you can, you should play with that. So, you know, keep it up. Camilla. So yesterday, sometime, I don't remember when, sitting in the meditation hall, um, Something like spacious awareness, floor, forms around edge of room, nothing happening. And then the mind came in and said, that's it, nothing happened. Yes, right, right. Yes, 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 yes. So that's it, so fine, that's great. And so the mind distracted you. Yeah. But that's okay, it's bound to happen. Because the trick is we don't recognize it. Even when we are there, we don't recognize it. This is what the Christian mystic Bonaventure says. Thus our mind, accustomed to the darkness of beings and the images of the things of sense, when it glimpses the light of supreme being, seems to itself to see nothing it does not realize that this very darkness is the supreme illumination of our mind. The trouble is, our attention is so conditioned that when it encounters nothing, it skips over it because there's nothing there. And it's conditioned to find something. It just does it automatically. And it does it at such a uh, subtle level that we usually don't even notice that that's what's going on. Because secretly we're still making the mistake that Dr. Wolf made. Enlightenment has to be something different than what I'm saying now. I must be missing something. You're not missing anything. You're missing no thing. Here's what Anandamoyama says. Where nothing is, there is everything. All efforts are for the sake of this realization. So, when we discover nothing, we have to rest in it long enough to recognize what it is. To recognize, to go back to Yogi's phrase, uh, it's a nothing, but a nothing that is absolutely substantial and identical with the self.
The Christian author of The Cloud of Unknowing writes, To those who have newly encountered it, it will feel very dark and inscrutable indeed. Your senses and faculties will be frustrated for lack of something to dwell on, and they will chide you for doing nothing. Anybody have that experience of being frustrated and feeling like, okay, here I am, nothing's going on, what am I doing here? How much longer is this meditation going here? Okay. So, look, he wrote this in the the 12th century or something, you know. So, you think you were the only one who's had this experience, nobody else has gone through it before you, but everybody's gone through it before you, essentially, unless you're lucky like Ramana Maharshi. So, he said, your senses and faculties will be frustrated for lack of something to dwell on. Don't worry if your faculties fail to grasp it. Actually, that is the way it should be. For this nothingness is so lofty that they cannot reach it. It cannot be explained, only experienced. So learn to be at home in this darkness. This is what we need to do next. If we've touched on this nothing, and if you touched on this nothing, if you're sitting there with nothing going on, you've touched on the nothing. So however you are arriving at nothing, whether it's following a a thought and you're contacting the gap between thoughts and there's nothing there, or whether you're doing this more direct approach, or it doesn't matter, however you're doing it, once you do contact the nothing, you have to learn to be at home in the darkness. We're not talking about enlightenment here. We're talking about being at home in this nothing. Here's what Lao Tzu says. In the pursuit of learning, one knows more every day. In the pursuit of the way, one does less every day. One does less and less until one does nothing at all. And when one does nothing at all, there is nothing that is undone. So he says the whole spiritual path is learning to do less and less and less until finally we do nothing. And that's just what the author of The Cloud of Unknowing said, right? Even though you'll be frustrated and your mind will be chiding you for not doing anything, but just don't do anything. Just stay there. Don't do anything. Just be at home there. Learn to be at home. In fact... If we continue to try to do anything, that is the obstacle at this point. Anything we try to do at this point is an obstacle. Just at this point now, not earlier in the path, not other practices, only at this point. Here's what Tsukne Rinpoche says, and he uses this technical Tibetan term, Rigpa, which again means consciousness itself, pristine awareness, those various terms for that ground reality. We don't need to carry the method with us past the point it has served its purpose, like lugging around a boat once we have reached the shore. To try to be mindful while already recognizing nothing is just like carrying along a boat. When arriving at Rigpa, we should definitely be free of disturbing emotions, but we also need to be free of the method the technique. 
This is an extremely important point. So all our methods, all our techniques, everything we've learned to do, at this moment, we abandon. It's also very important that we don't abandon the ship before it's reached the shore. Practices are really important. They're really important for developing an undistracted mind. All the meditation practice, that's what we train to do. They're important in other areas which we haven't even touched on in this retreat. Like weaning us from all our self-centered conditioning and our habits and so forth. For generating, or I should say, opening the gates to love and compassion to flow into our lives. All kinds of things we need practices for. But now, they serve their purpose. So, whatever method or technique we've used to get here, whatever effort we've put in, whatever way of directing attention or anything that we are doing, no matter how subtle, we need to just stop doing it. So, what they're describing here is this state of kenosis, that I call kenosis, means emptiness, and it's a state where it's consciousness without an object, not meaning that literally nothing is present in the sense of phenomena, but there's no grasping at anything as object. And this is also a state where there is no, well, it gets to be a state where there is no subject. And the reason there's no subject is because what fuels the subject, the self, the creation of this boundary, the little rooster and that little snake and that little pig chasing each other. around in the center of this. And they have come to a stop. No longer chasing each other. And then the whole wheel comes to a stop. And because it only exists when it's in motion, because it's an illusion, it vanishes. There is the pure moment of kenosis. Pure moment of kenosis. So, we're back full circle. When we talked about how all this came about, we've hopefully worked our way back, if you like, back to the center of the wheel. And the last little things they're going is just this little bit of seeking, this little bit of movement, this little, little, subtlest little wavering. That has to stop. Just for a moment. Not a big, long time. It may be it has to stop for a big, long time for you because even if it does stop and even if the whole thing collapses, a recognition still has to take place. That is the heart of the mystery. A recognition occurs. And that emptiness, that darkness, that nothingness is suddenly seen as the fullness. It's not transformed. Nothing happens. It's just seen as it. You've been looking at it all along. So then, of course, the question is, what can we do to enter the state of kenosis? And the answer, of course, is nothing. <laughs> You've heard that before, haven't you? Here we are again at the highest teaching, what you've been waiting for all retreat. 
And I told you last time, you ain't going to like it. You ain't going to like it this time any better than you liked it last time. That's right, doing nothing. Now listen to Sukhne Rinpoche. We need to be resting on nothing, like a bird soaring in the sky. There is space above, there is space below, there is space in front, behind, and to both sides, and the bird is not dwelling on anything whatsoever. It is soaring in midair. That is the way to sit. Do not lean forward into something. Do not lean back into something that you rest on. Do not settle down on your seat either. Be suspended in midair with space above, below, and all sides. As a matter of fact, your very being is space as well. It is no different from space. So at this point, that's all we can do is use imagery and stuff like that. It's not really an instruction. It just might inspire that little pig and snake and, and rooster to stand still and see what happens. Okay, so let's try this. Doing nothing. The art of doing nothing. When I say do nothing now, I mean don't meditate. Don't concentrate. Don't look at thoughts. Don't look for nothing. I mean do nothing. I mean going to sit. But other than that, do nothing. Vividly. Hmm? Vividly. Vividly. No, no, don't do it vividly. Don't do it dully either. Just don't do it. Do not do it. Whatever it is, do not do it. Okay? All right, so. Here we go. If you wish to follow our format, stop your player now and practice these instructions. When you've familiarized yourself with these instructions, start your player again and continue with the program.
So, a little intro to what the teaching is going to be tonight. Strictly speaking, you can never get enlightened. And it doesn't matter which you, the pronoun you, is referring to. Your deluded self or your true self. If it's referring to your deluded self, your deluded self can never get enlightened because it doesn't exist. Abdullah Ansari of Harat, a great Sufi, says, There is no seeker, no sought, no receiving of information, no inquiry, no definition, no description. He, God, is everything in everything. There is no seeker. If we use the pronoun you to refer to your true self, to consciousness itself, well, consciousness can never get enlightened because consciousness was never deluded. It's always been enlightened. This is why Zen master Wang Po writes, You have always been one with the Buddha, so do not pretend you can attain to this oneness by various practices. So Ramana Maharshi says, In a sense, speaking of self-realization is a delusion. It is only because people have been under the delusion that the non-self is the self and the unreal the real that they have to be weaned out of it by the other delusion called self-realization. Because actually the self is always the self. And there is no such thing as realizing it. Who is to realize what and how when all that exists is the self and nothing but the self? It's interesting because, you see, Jananis, we're so arrogant. When we look at bhaktis and we say, oh, those poor bhaktis, they've fallen in love with the form of the divine. That's not the ultimate God. They've fallen in love with something uh, short of that. And here they are, you know, Hare Krishna and this and that. And someday they're going to have to give that up. Otherwise, they're never going to, you know, make it to the end. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go right for enlightenment. I'm going to go for self-realization. Well, <laughs> it's just as deluded as falling in love with the form of the divine. So this idea we have about enlightenment, self-realization, whatever gnosis, whatever term you want to use for, as being something that we are going to get eventually out there something that isn't present here now that is a delusion that's exactly the delusion that uh, Dr. Wolf discovered when he said I'm meditating and I'm expecting some very subtle experience or some very subtle object to appear I'm waiting here for self-realization it's already here you can quit waiting Here's Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas. His disciples said to him, When will the kingdom come? Jesus said, It will not come by expectation. They will not say, See here or see there. 
But the kingdom of the Father is spread upon the earth, and men do not see it. The kingdom isn't coming. If you're waiting for the kingdom, it ain't coming. You can wait till the cows come home, it ain't coming. Anandamaya Ma says, in the whole universe, in all states of being, in all forms is he. All names are his names, all shapes his shapes, all qualities his qualities, and all modes of existence are truly his. So, in other words, you're looking at him. Right now. Everything you see. You're not seeing anything else. This is why Huang Po says, now notice she's talking as a bhakti in this particular verse about he, God, everything is God. Huang Po is a Zen Buddhist. He has no notion of a God or anything like that. But what does he say? That which is before you is it in all its fullness utterly complete. There is naught besides. There's nothing missing. You're looking for the missing piece. You think you got the whole puzzle put together, see, because we've done all this stuff, right? And you're just waiting for the missing piece. There ain't no missing piece. So, then, if this is true, there's nothing to seek. Which, again, is just what the mystics say. Meister Eckhart. The more one seeks you, the less one finds you. You should so seek him that you find him nowhere. If you do not seek him, then you will find him. It's the seeking God that distracts us from God. It's the seeking enlightenment that distracts us from enlightenment. So, what can you do here? Well, nothing. But here's how Longchenpa spells it out. In the meditation, which is the great natural self-perfection, there is no need of modifications and transformations. Whatever arises is the great perfection. There is no need of accepting or renouncing. If you reside in the groundless state through detachment from mind, you will accomplish spontaneously and changelessly the inconceivable sovereignty. So there's no need for any modification to consciousness. You don't have to concentrate. You don't have to da-da-da. There's no need for uh, accepting anything, rejecting anything. The only thing here, as he said, is it's through detachment from mind. And that just means if you get carried away with stories, then you're not going to accomplish the inconceivable changeless sovereignty while you're carried away with stories. But we've already learned there's no problem with that. They will self-liberate. So there you are, off in Hawaii, whoa, gone, that's fine, because it'll just occur to you, wait a minute. And once you occurs to you, it'll go poof. So you don't even have to make an effort to do anything about that. 
Is everybody following what I, at least what I'm saying here? So this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do nothing, but as we're doing nothing, I am going to direct your attention, give your attention some pointers. You're not to fixate on anything. You're not to pay particular attention to what I say. You're not to try to figure it out. If your attention wants to obey, it will obey. If it don't want to obey, it won't obey. It's nothing to do with you, okay? So you're just sitting here doing nothing. I'm going to be speaking. That's all that's going to be going on. Okay? All right. Just relax. Completely relax. Surrender any effort, including and especially the effort, the desire, the movement to attain enlightenment. That's the big one right here. You've come all this way to attain enlightenment. You have to give that up right now. Stop trying to attain enlightenment. <clears throat> And do nothing. If your eyes are closed, open them gently, but don't fix your attention on anything. Is there consciousness of sights? Is there consciousness of sounds? 
is their consciousness of sensations. Is there consciousness of any emotions, or desires, or aversions, or the absence of them? Is there consciousness of thoughts? This very consciousness, which is here, right now, is that eternal self-luminous reality you have been striving to realize all along. But since this consciousness is already here, your striving is unnecessary. Let all ideas about your experience self-liberate and simply observe. See how phenomena arise in consciousness.
since whatever arises is already present, how can it be avoided? See how phenomena pass in consciousness. Since whatever has passed is no longer present, how can it be grasped? See how everything appears without the least obstruction. Since nothing obstructs appearances, there are no obstacles to be removed. See how everything passes without the least hindrance. Since everything is self-liberating, there is nothing to be set free.
relax into this effortless contemplation of how things actually are. Now, without making any adjustments, just continue to observe. Although you say forms arise in consciousness, can you really separate consciousness from its forms? Is not consciousness like an ocean and form its waves? Because consciousness and forms are ultimately inseparable, duality never existed. How then can it be transcended? Look, reality is staring you right in the face.
you say you can't eliminate yourself, but there is no self to eliminate. You say you have not attained enlightenment, but there is not the slightest thing to attain. You say, I am ignorant of my true nature. How can this be? What else is there besides this consciousness and its forms, which are already present, right here and now? Now, and now. You've now reached the end of this talk. Continue practicing at least once a day until you are thoroughly familiar with these instructions.